about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. One Thessalonians chapter five verses sixteen to eighteen. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, friends. So good to be with you. If you're new or you're visiting this evening or you're online, great to have you with us in particular. As Beck said, this is our last week in the series, and it's been really Interesting to hear different people's reflections on the series, the different challenges of looking at some more complex passages and the ideas about prayer and our God, and that's all been very encouraging. You might have thought maybe we could have choose maybe a slightly longer reading for this evening even, just to finish it off well. But what, what we've got for this evening is something that appears in all kinds of ways and manners throughout the New Testament, these short, pithy exhortations to go about the business of prayer. We could have picked any number of different ones. Devote yourselves to prayer and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. I urge you then, first of all, that prayer be made for all people. The New Testament is dripping with these imperatives toward prayer. It's almost like one of the explanation marks or one of the direct applications out of hearing the gospel, out of seeing the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus, is to be about prayer. You can't miss it as you survey everything that's said in the New Testament. So what I want to do tonight is just unpack that. What are we being exhorted to do exactly? What does that mean and why is it there? What kind of life are we being summoned to? This life of persevering, faithful, ongoing, never stopping Prayer. Prayer is not a part of the Christian life, but an essential element of our very response to what God has done in Jesus. So we're going to just look tonight. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Four things for you this evening on what a life of prayer might look like in obedience to these commands to go pray. Four things. First thing is this. Oh, sorry. Skip those slides. We are to constantly turn our attention to our Father in prayer. We are to constantly turn our attention to our Father in prayer. That's a simple reality of what we are being called to when we are being summoned to pray. Did you catch that wonderful few verses from Maxon? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Pray constantly, another translation says, or pray without ceasing in the older translations. This life of constant and ongoing prayer. What are we being summoned to in this? On one level, straight away, the idea of continually praying breaks apart our expectations. Prayer is not bound to certain places like churches. It's not bound to holy times of the day. Prayer is something that can be enacted at all times. It does not need a set of circumstances or emotions. It can always occur. 
And as you can see here, prayer follows from rejoicing. There's a joy that comes with praying and a praying that comes with rejoicing. And what we're kind of being given here is a way of navigating through God's world. And it's a path of joy that's defined by walking the things of life that have been given to us. And as we are given them, taking hold of them in the joys and anxieties, in the fears, and and turning with them to the attention of our Father prayerfully, dependently, longingly, asking for what's needed, praying continually. Now, you might still be hung up on the word continually, and that makes sense, or the idea of without ceasing, because the idea of being on your knees all day praying doesn't make a lot of pragmatic sense, all those kinds of things. What does this continually actually mean? Well, there are lots of things that we do without thinking, do not always, but continually through the day. Definitely the most terrifying one is your phone. I don't know if 2,600 times a day is accurate, touching your phone, but there is a terrifying part of an iPhone when you delve into the like, screen time section that tells you how many times a day you pick up your phone. I am on about 100 a day times right now, which is terrifying. That's four times an hour if I was awake and using my phone every hour of the day, which I'm not. So it's a lot of times, and I'm not always using my phone, but I'm continually using my phone, right? We have these habits. We, we are continually doing, paying attention at moments that matter to certain things all day long. Another example for me would be the cricket. When Australia's been playing India, I know the tests start at 3 p.m., and from 3 p.m. until I go to bed, I am continually checking updates and seeing what happens, seeing who scored runs, who's got out. And I'm not always there, but I'm continually doing it in such a way that I'm always in touch with it. It's always kind of on my mind, and I kind of feel like it's always part of me. You know, we do this thing. We do continual things, and we're being summoned to take up prayer as one of those continual attention-facing habits in our days. Now, let me flip and just talk about this from a more encouraging angle for a moment. The phone thing is terrifying. Yes, we're all addicted to our phones. Yes. But if you've just, after the service today, at some point before you go to bed, just spent a few minutes and just thought for yourself through the last 24 hours, say, and noted down every time you prayed, you know, a one-word prayer, a two-word prayer, a sentence prayer, not an hour-long prayers, you might do them too, but just through the day when you threw up a prayer here and there, you'd be surprised, I think, at how often you just end up praying. Out of desperation sometimes, out of joy sometimes, out of just kind of, you end up at church and you're praying in church. We often stumble into a life of prayer that in, in some ways is continual. And what Paul is summoning us to do today is to be a bit more intentional about that, to be a bit more aware about that, to think of part of the fabric of our habitual life as constantly turning our attention to our Father in prayer. The same way we turn our attention to our phone or turn our attention to the cricket. Christians throughout history have always had an instinct that there's a rhythm to the day. And there are certain pliable moments of prayer, like morning and evening prayer in the Anglican tradition or the Celtic tradition that had certain moments in the day to stop and pray and towns would center it 
their lives around movements of prayer. One way to, to skin this cat is to think about what are the pliable moments in your day for prayer. For me, the first time in the morning is always full of promise, and I, I can just pray the easiest in the morning. I can't tell you why, it just is true. And at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, I lose the will to do anything, and that's a really good moment as well. 3 p.m. just is my alarm moment, having been up with toddlers and worked a lot of the day, and I just kind of lose my focus, and I just leave the office, walk around the block, and pray. It's just a great moment to offer the things that are happening to God, the anxieties of the day, the fears, the good things, the things I'm struggling with. Maybe there's similar moments for you, the moments you know you're about to walk into a client meeting and you're in transit, for example. Or the moment when you pause to make your tea or your coffee in the day. Or that moment when you're just walking on the last path to visit a friend or to visit a house. There are these moments and these times we can take hold of as moments of prayer, on a continual life of prayer. What are your pliable moments? What's your rhythm that you might intentionally seek to offer things up to your Father's attention through the course of a day? That's the first thing. The second is something very important that you see Paul doing through the whole of the New Testament. And that's that Paul is always praying with people and always praying for people. You cannot miss that when you look at the way he prays. There are actually two other times in the book of Thessalonians where he uses the word continual while talking about prayer. Let me show you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. And again, and we also thank God continually because you accepted it, the gospel, not as a human word, but as the word of God. And last one doesn't have continual, but has the same sense. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Notice something very important here. It's always we. We always thank God. We pray most earnestly. Paul is praying with other people. His life of continual prayer is a communal one. It involves others. It involves Timothy and Silas sitting down to pray for the churches. It's not just a solo endeavor. It's something done in community with other brothers and sisters. And notice also, he's always praying for other people. For the Thessalonians. Paul's rhythm of prayer is in intensely people-focused. He's with them and praying for them all of the time. That's why when we join together in church, it's one of the most wonderful things we do together to pray. But there's lots of times in your week, say, when you're texting a friend from church, or you're having coffee with them, or you're in contact with them, and they're great moments you could turn into prayer. What can I quickly pray for you as you finish your message thread of emojis with that certain person? I pray for you today. You run into someone on the street and you just say as you're leaving, I'm going to what can I pray for you as I walk away now? Or can we just pause now as we finish and just pray about the things we've been talking about? Both of us seem really anxious about a certain set of relationships and maybe we can pray together about that. There's a way of betting into the things that we already do, the people we already see, prayer, continual prayer. Because if we're always thinking of praying with the people we meet 
who are brothers and sisters, we are entering into this life of continual prayer. But we're also to pray for people. I love how Paul talks about this. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. All people. Kings and queens and slaves, the persecuted, the lonely, the hungry, all types and stripes of people. Prayer for Paul is always focused upon different churches and different individuals. I love how in other parts of his letters he talked about remembering people in prayer. I love that idea, remembering people, calling them to mind, their life, their circumstances, the journey that the Lord has given them, their struggles, remembering them and praying for them. Our prayers might just reveal a lot about our vision of other people, our ability to listen to what's happening in their lives, and what we really long for them and for what might happen for them. We can be constantly asking our Lord for the daily bread of our brothers and sisters, the practical needs like jobs and houses that all of us need to get through life, but also for our spiritual needs, our need to grow in holiness and righteousness, our need to love and know more of our Lord Jesus, to rest in the love of our heavenly Father, to know more about our God and be more secure in his power. There are endless things we can pray for each other. And Paul, when he's exhorting us to pray continually, is exhorting us to pray for other people, to call them to mind, to remember them, to, to ask, to intercede on their behalf. I have all kinds of haphazard random ways of attempting to do this that sometimes work. Like designating different days to pray for different people. I pray for my parents on Mondays. Or keeping lists of people and just going through a few names every day. Or uh, I have a notebook and I write down people's names and a verse, I'm praying for them. I use these sometimes well and forget about them and use them again. But there are lots of ways like that you could use to remember people. To jot down their name, to remember them before the Lord. Their needs and what the Lord wants for them in the course of life. We had to pray with people, and we had to pray for people. But the other half of specifically the prayer that we're kind of exhorted to in 1 Thessalonians is this reflex of thankfulness. Thankfulness is to be our reflex in prayer. And one of the simplest ways to develop and grow an ongoing and deepening prayer life is that of Thankfulness. Paul's and the old New Testament writer's summons to thankfulness is just everywhere when you start looking for it in the New Testament. Such a high frequency. But the other striking thing is how just expansive the vision is. Let me show you. Give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances, he says to the Thessalonians. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in Ephesians. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all, all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You just get the sense that thanksgiving is not confined to certain parts of life when you read these verses. 
that in every part of life, in every aspect of life, in every season of life, there are things with which we can give thanks to our Father for. Turning our attention to Him in gratitude and thanksgiving, joyfully, because He has given us so many remarkably good gifts. Every good gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. James 1, we read that earlier in our series. Now there's a lot that's around the moment about mental health and gratitude, and I think it's very helpful. I don't want to demean it in any way. But I always find it very interesting how our culture's conversation around gratitude often has it as a mindset that doesn't actually express it toward someone in particular. It's a thankfulness that kind of hangs in the air as an attitude, but isn't actually relational. It's not offered to someone in a specific way. I find that really interesting, and as I've been thinking about this, I think the Bible, as it's thinking about thankfulness, differs at this point. Our thankfulness to a heavenly Father for the good things we receive, when we are constantly in the habit of doing it, has this remarkable way of growing in us a vision of the goodness and grace and steadiness and unchangingness of our God. And when we continually habitually give thanks, it's like our souls get anchored in him, steadied in him. There's a consistency of our joy. And it consists in in a knowledge of knowing that we live in a world that our Father runs. And his good gifts can be found anywhere. You know, the Thessalonians to which this exhortation is given were intensely persecuted. Their life was not simple. Not everything was going well. And yet it's to them that Paul says, give thanks. You know, this constant habitual thankfulness wards us against cynicism and despair. Against a dark vision of the world we live in. Against our disappointments and our sense that, is our father really, does he really have our back at all? It's an antidote to the dissatisfaction that's kind of woven into our consumerist culture. That we do not always need more because we always live in the world that our Heavenly Father has made. And so this reflex of thankfulness actually embeds our life and our heart and our soul in the goodness of our Father. You know, picking up a habit like this, really simple. When you end your day, ask yourself, ask someone, text someone, what went well today for you, friend? What went well for me today? What fell together unexpectedly? What was going to go bad but went okay in the end? Where was my father's grace and goodness evident? Perhaps in places I didn't expect, in the kindness of a colleague or in the smile of an unexpected friend, or in things that could have gone wrong that really in the end didn't. In the calling to mind and the offering and attention in thankfulness to our Father, friend, it will steady your soul. Give thanks in all circumstances, Paul says. But as we get to the end of this, and as we get to the end of this series... And as we consider the vast number 
of times we are summoned to pray in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And may it just be that the reason the numbers are so large, maybe it's because the task is actually quite hard. That the life of faithful, persevering, ongoing, unceasing prayer is actually a bit complicated in the reality of life. That the disappointments are thick, that cynicism is very easy to find, that becoming jaded and resigned is much easier than becoming thankful. And the roads out are just manifold. What will keep us there when life becomes like that tomorrow? Well, there's one more thing that Paul says that's very important. He says it's God's will for us to pray. It's God's will for us in Jesus to joyfully walk in the way of thankfulness and prayer and rejoicing. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the will of God for your life? What are the things that he wants from you? What's the path before you? In the winding threads of things that don't feel like they hang together yet. In the complexity of things you're not sure how to handle. What's God's will for you? to always turn to your Father in your anxiety and fears and pray. To notice His good gifts and to offer them back in worship. And to find a steady joy as you walk in life. That's God's will for your life. Prayer. Prayer is the height of the life and the grace that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And when we take it up, we are taking up the very center of the thing that he wills to give us. Paul says in Romans 8, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Whenever you pray, you are taking up the highest privilege that God has given you. The privilege that comes only by the Holy Spirit entering you and calling out to the Father He has known for all eternity. The privilege of being a son and a daughter like Jesus Christ before the Father. When you bend your head to pray, you take up, you realize the truest thing about you, that you are a child of a loving Heavenly Father. There is no other way to realize the height and the joy and the stunning reality of that than to pray. Because in prayer, as the Spirit prays on our behalf, as Jesus prays with him. And when we add our voice to the chorus of prayer happening in and around us, we sense that we, in the life that we have, have been given unimaginable access, have been grounded in the most profound love of our eternal 
and heavenly Father. So friend, do not give up on your prayers. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for you as his child. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for the simple summons to pray. To not leave behind the vision of you we've had through this whole series, but to take it up. Not just once or twice, but as the life that you have given us to live. The joyful life that hands, fears, and anxieties, and cares to you, our lovely Heavenly Father, that offers worship for good gifts received and so becomes steady and firm, sure of who we are, that we belong to you now and forever. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.